podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And welcome back. Hi. Look at my eyes. They look better. They look much better. Like, not completely healed. Yeah, they're absolutely not completely healed. But um, seven days went by, still had the pink eye. So I had to go back to the doctor and they were like, wow, you've had this for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I have it. (laughs) So they gave me new, stronger antibiotic drops. I have only taken them three times today. And my eyes are already like not pink anymore. They're the whites of my eyes are white, but you can still tell like they're a little agitated. But it looks more like you haven't slept in a few days and it's more like the the bags, you know, like under your eyes than it does pink eye. And those are also natural because I've been putting makeup everywhere on my face except around my eyes because I can't. And also because I'm not buying all new makeup. That's expensive. Right. Out Hell no, no. So I've just put in foundation like around it and wearing absolutely nothing else. So it's partial pink eye, partial all natural. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Look, I don't, I stay home. I don't wear makeup. So <laughs> maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's pink eye. Something like that. It's not pink <laughs> eye for me. Uh, but I'm glad your pink eye is getting better. It does, it looks a lot better. It is kind of funny because the pink eye is starting to go away and now my allergies are getting worse. I don't know if you can hear that. I think you can because I can hear it. I feel voice. like I can't hear it, but that's mostly because I feel like you've had allergies forever. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, probably. It's just become the norm for me. Oh, that's yeah. actually, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. So, you know, no big deal. Uh, well, would you like my update? I would love one. Yes, please. Well, I'm holding him. His name is Dash. Um, my parents are on vacation and I am watching their dogs. And uh, my dad is also mad at me <laughs> uh, because yeah, I told yeah. him the truth. Uh-huh. And what truth was that? Um, that his dog, Dash, there's one brain cell and it is working overtime. It's just something about his eyes, man. There's like not a thought behind those eyes. There's, There's nothing, nothing floating through there. there. There's nothing. I mean, he's going to come back here in two seconds and want to be on my lap again. And he <laughs> just jumped off of me. He's literally so. just like living life and literally nothing else. Yes. He's so ha- he's such a good boy, though. He He's very happy. He's very um, handsome. He's very handsome. He's a very dashing dashy. Yes. Um, he's really funny. I learned the other day that if you just start talking to him, just like talking about his name, whatever, he will smile at you. Oh, I love when dogs smile. It's not the greatest smile, but it's real fun. So I would try. But if you touch him, the smile goes away. So you can't pet him and think he'll still smile. So Dash and I have that in common. Yeah. I mean, I have that in common with him too, but I am watching both of my, or two of my parents' dogs. Um, They're my dog's parents. Mm -hmm. I actually know I am the parent. They are her uh, (laughs) birth givers. Uh (laughs) Um, And it's actually been much, much easier than I thought. Uh, Only because one of their dogs is a little aggressive towards ours. 
so we we have a muzzle just in case like just in case we need to separate them or they have to be together and we can't you know we we don't know what's going to happen but there haven't been really any issues so it's so far been smooth sailing granted it's only a couple days in uh by the time everyone hears this the dogs are already back at my parents house does not matter (laughs) um i'll keep my fingers crossed for you I just have extra shadows. Like, I know on the video, you can just see Izzy pacing behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all she does. I don't think she ever leaves my side long enough unless I force <laughs> her. So then my dog is jealous. Maisie gets so jealous. God, it's ridiculous. Um, it, yeah, it's going to be an adventure for a couple weeks because my parents mm-hmm. are out of town for like 13 days or something like that. Almost two weeks. So I have the dogs for a while. That's a lot of dogs for a lot of days. I know. Tell me about it. It's fine. It's fine. It is. It's fine. Okay. Anyway, so that's that's what I've been doing. I have dogs coming out my ears. Well, yeah, they're everywhere. I'm sorry. How are your allergies? Did you so say good. That? Yeah. Was that a dust? Uh, I don't dust? know. Was it dust? I'm in. I have no idea. You're going to have to replay that. I'm assuming it was dust, but (laughs) Amanda and I just saw something float across my screen and camera. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's dust, but if it appeared and started here, it's an orb. So you can deal with that how you want. So (laughs) anyways, anything else? Any other updates? Um, yes. Okay. My child. Bryce no longer has pink eye. It's coming, though. It's here. It's here. It's already here. The the terrible tooth? Yeah. 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 Would would you like to vent about that? Okay, so here's what's going on. (laughs) So she's always been, like, I think I mentioned it, probably. I don't know. We taught her sign language at a pretty young age because... (laughs) <laughs> I have trouble regulating, okay? So I can't do it for both of us because I can't even do it for myself. So like I need to know I need to know what do you want? Cuz she started to get to the age where I mean mom's kind of know, you know, it's it's like having a cat or a dog. Don't come at me for saying that, okay? If you've ever had a cat or a dog, you know it's the same thing. You eventually just learn what they want. But oh, yeah. there there come a time where like I would get her what I thought she wanted and she was either just really mean or really rude or what so we taught her sign language. She's gotten to a point where she will not use it. She knows sign language. She knows the words for what she wants. But instead, she just decides to throw a fit and scream about it. And the whole time I'm sitting here, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. She Does wants she to me? scream. No, doesn't tell me. I have to guess. So we're like right back at that stage. But the best, did you see that? Yeah, what was that? That was, I think it was dust. It was dust. Okay, what is oh going God, on in our house? dust all over the place at our houses. Oh, Yours we need to like clean, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> we apparently got to vacuum this shit. I think I hit uh, my microphone and it like, it sticks to it because I've got the, the pee popper thing. Yeah, my pee popper doesn't have that. Oh, okay. Mine is just like. A foam cover, yeah. Yeah, it's foam. Everything sticks to it. But anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, so I made her <clears throat> I made her dinner last week. 
peanut butter jelly and banana sandwich. Okay, we got a PBB and J. She's she's had them before. Loves them. Loves bananas. Loves peanut butter and jelly. It's match made in heaven, right? So while I'm making the sandwich, I give her half of the banana. She scarfs that down, and I give her the sandwich. And she's she eats. I cut it in fours. She eats a quarter of it, and then she's about halfway through that that next piece of sandwich. And she realizes that there's a banana on it. Loses her mind. Screams. Like I thought something was wrong. I was trying to make my food. My mistake. First, first mistake. Here. You're not allowed to eat. <laughs> what? Well, actually, that was my second mistake. The first was making her literally what she's loved in the past. But she lost her mind. I thought something happened. I, my first thing is like the dog bit you or like you smashed your finger in the fridge. Like, I don't know. She's in a high chair. She's fine. But that's what it sounded like. Like she was hurt. She was dying. She's literally like this in her high chair screaming dramatically. Because there was banana on How the sandwich. dare you try to add bananas to her PB&J? There only needs to be one B. Don't know what I was thinking. I I clearly was not thinking. She wanted to put the bananas in on her own. Well, even then, she now she's peeling them apart, which is peanut butter and jelly is so messy, so messy, so messy. And she's peeling it apart in pieces and taking the banana off and eating it one side at a time like an open-faced sandwich. But she's a year and a half old, so she's not good at eating it like that. She's literally eating it like this. See this chip? Oh, I've got dill pickle chips, by the way. See this chip? She's eating it like this, smashing oh, it on her doing, face. She's doing the jelly face right into her face. Yes. Okay. And most of it by this point is on the floor anyway. I just don't understand what your issue is. She's enjoying life. Why can't you just enjoy life? Oh, she was not be. enjoying that. She was very okay. clearly very upset with me. She was like, how the hell dare you try to poison me, woman? She was very excited afterwards because she got a bath and she loves baths. Because since she threw most of her dinner on the floor, I made her rice, plain peanut butter and jelly. Right. It was on one piece of bread, folded over, peanut butter, jelly, no banana. Cool. Good to go. Well, now she doesn't trust me. So she peeled it open into another open face sandwich. And when I tried to take it from her, and fold it back she, together. She pitched a fit and slapped the open-faced peanut butter and jelly sandwich against the side of her head. She was becoming one with the PB&J. She had to make sure there were no bananas. At that point, I gave up. Well, I mean, I don't know <laughs> what to tell you there. She she has a real strong will. And it's all my fault. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure all your fault so i can only be so angry but i mean i'm not saying that i think you can be as angry as you want oh well then i'm pissed yeah that's fine is it too late to put her back yes you have another tenant right now they can share (laughs) i don't i don't care (laughs) i don't know that there's room for two tenants I'm sorry. Let me correct that. I don't know if there's womb for two tenants. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So good luck with that one. (laughs) 
Um, other than that, though, yeah, I'm great. Fantastic. Doing well. You, you sure about that? Because I'm nope. not really convinced. Okay. <laughs> well, that that was a real quick nope. <laughs> I did not need to. You didn't even need to think on that one. It was an I am mm-hmm. absolutely not okay. No, I'm facing all kinds of abuse from my daughter. Like physical, psychological, <sighs> biological. She is a terrorist, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, I think she is. Yeah. Huh. Well, that feels like a you problem. So I'm <laughs> going to let you deal with that. <laughs> I'm so glad that your uh, terrible twos is starting now. Well, I do have <laughs> some good news. I don't know who the good news is for, but it's no one in this house. Oh, okay. So next is it, week. Is it what I think? Oh, no, it's not. No. Next, I don't know if I've told you this yet. Uh, next week, Annie's daycare is closed for the whole week for um, professional development, right? Oh, it's for the holiday. We all know it. Oh, well, they just took the whole week. Like, yeah, they were like, bye, professional look, they, development. They deal with my daughter and like 50 other kids. I'm surprised they don't take more than one week. But they're closed. I don't have any personal time or vacation time. I don't have it yet. And what time I do have, obviously, I'm going to need it here in a couple months. So I'm not using it. So guess who's going to be playing daddy daycare that week? Oh, James is going to have so much fun. Mm -hmm. He's on vacation with our daughter vacation it's a staycation just wait he's Mm -hmm. gonna be like that was such a fun week and you're gonna hate him so much he's i feel like i might get some flowers out of it or something (laughs) like when i went to alabama the last time and he was like you know i didn't realize how much you do around here and i'm like what can you say that again i didn't hear you pardon me come again we'll see if i get any special Reese's or anything afterwards. <laughs> Every day he comes, he, he greets you at home with like a whole bouquet of Reese's of all different varieties. Oh, no, not next week. I'm going to have to be bringing him home like mozzarella sticks and beef jerky and being like, I'll take her. It's okay. Go do what you go. <laughs> go take a shower or something. Do what you need to do. The week after. Yeah. He okay. might come home and be like, you know, I really love you. And then I can be like, I really know. Yeah. He'll be like, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll let you know how that goes. I'm I'm really excited. Maybe I'll message James middle of the week and be like, how's it going, bud? You okay? I know Andy's going to love it because that means that she'll he'll be cooking. And she loves it when he co- We all love it around here when he cooks because he's good at it. And he likes it, so he's like good at it, and he's passionate about it. So it's, it's just it's a happy day all the time. I don't right, even want right, to cook right. anymore. Yeah, let him do it anyways. Mm-hmm. When I cook, I cook to survive, and he cooks because he enjoys it. He cooks for enjoyment. He he cooks mm-hmm. for the flavors and the experimentation. Exactly. He makes all these he makes all these crazy things. Like obviously he cooks Korean food, but he also he's made birria. He's made um oh what are those things called? They're from not tamales. No, but I wonder if he'd ever make those. He he'll never get it as good as mine though. So just letting you know now. Oh surely. 
Well, I'm excited to hear the update on uh, Daddy Daycare next week. Oh, you know, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, I know I'll have an update. <laughs> Not before our next recording, though, because we record this mm -hmm. weekend, too. Yeah. Which, I mean, fine, I guess. But trust me, y'all, <sighs> we'll hear about it. In a couple weeks. It'll be yeah. fun. So, all right, all right. Well, that's fun. Are there any other updates? No. No, I think we've talked for long enough. Okay. okay. That's it, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, bye. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into our stories, which I'm excited even if Amanda did steal from me this week. but My bad. Fine. Okay, sure. Anyways, before we get into that, we do post all of our pictures on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Facebook are Hell on Heels Podcast, Twitter, Hell on Heels Pod. Uh, we have our link tree up and going. If you just Google Hell on Heels link tree, we should come right up for you. Um, Discord, Patreon, those are both up and going. We're working on getting specials out if Amanda would post what she needed to. Discord's just for kicks and giggles. So if you want to join on Discord, by all means, have fun with that. Um, I think that's it. Is there anything else I missed? No, I don't think no, so. No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, if we uh, if we shall begin, I am going to start by saying Amanda is a thief. Flat out a thief. It's not my story right now, but it was supposed to be. It's, okay, I'm less of a thief <laughs> and more of a mind reader. No, 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 no. Still thief. <laughs> oh, no, she's right. I straight up. <laughs> this is what? The second time I've done this? I think so. I've only done it once. So you can only yell at me this time. Have you done it once? What did you do it with? Uh, the Pascagoula aliens. That's right. Okay, yeah. Okay. See, I had forgotten about that. Well, damn. Now I'm not even anymore. <laughs> no, so would you like to tell everyone what your story is? I only learned because I saw pictures. Yes. And if anybody wants to guess this story. Now's the time. This story, it's a, it's a ride, y'all. We're going on a ride. Okay. So roll your windows down. Don't put on any good music. Put on our podcast and let's go because this story has everything we love to hate. We got cannibalism. We got necrophilia. We got murder. And most of my info, I got straight from the horse's mouth, like literally, because this guy, he has done a ton of interviews and this long face creep is not attractive. Okay. So straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> So I would not have called him a long, long face creep. So now I'm kind of happy that you did it. So <laughs> I'm very, okay. We're going to talk about Issei Sagawa. And I'm just so uncomfortable. Like, all right. I, I watched a lot of his interviews because he did a lot of interviews where he talked about this in all the details. Details. And he's so callous about it that it's just, it's very unsettling. So we're going to talk shit about him throughout. Okay. 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 Before we go on, just so everyone's clear, my name was on the spreadsheet next to the story indicating I called dibs. Apparently dibs has no place on our spreadsheet anymore. I thought that was clear. I thought we've been over this. You want to say it one more time for good measure? <laughs> Apparently dibs means jack shit <laughs> to Amanda here. Look, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. 
I'm just saying you're lucky I haven't started research on this because I was debating either removing it or starting the research. So I hadn't decided, but I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do the research. So I'm ready. Okay. So Issei Sagawa, he was born April 26th, 1949 in Kobe, Japan. And he was a very premature baby. Um, apparently his mother, I believe she had like a traumatic fall or something. And when Issei was born, it said that he fit in the palm of his dad's hand. I hate that so yes, much. He was very tiny, obviously very sickly. He was in the hospital for a while. Um, even after he got out of the hospital, he stayed sickly. He stayed sickly and he stayed tiny throughout his life. Even when he was a full grown man. He was, he, he's a little man. His Listen, parents? I, I don't care that he's a preemie. Like, it's just the idea of in the palm of someone's hand. Who, like, unimaginable. So fragile. Like, would, you breathe wrong and you're going to drop yes. them. They're going to flutter off in the wind. I feel like I would be terrified to touch him. Oh, yeah. Now, his parents, they were very well off very wealthy his father akira sagawa he was a businessman he was the president of i didn't google this we're gonna take a shot at it kurita water industries and his mother was a homemaker and he also had a younger brother who apparently they were close in age and they grew up like thick as thieves they were very close since he was always really uh, really weak and small. He didn't really get into sports. So he kind of just focused on school. So he did well in school and he developed an interest in literature and he would go on later in his life to go to college for this. Sagawa said that he had a great childhood. He said his parents were very loving. Um, like I said, he was close with his little brother. But he said his parents never talked about sex, never even mentioned it. It was very taboo during the time. He said he never even heard them say the word sex. So he said the first time <clears throat> he became aroused, um, he thought something was medically wrong with him. He had no idea what was happening, which is really sad. It is like not knowing like that's a natural function of your body like right and from my understanding it wasn't because he was sexually aroused it just you know it happened so this poor kid he's never been told anything and he's just like oh my god something's wrong <clears throat> something was wrong all right um so as this started happening he got more curious and so he said he didn't know how to masturbate, didn't even know what it was. Um, he claimed this led to him experimenting in really weird ways. Like having the family dog lick it off. Oh, no, 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 sir. Nope. I, I forgot to mention okay. bestiality earlier. Sorry. Oh, okay. I finally <sighs> got that out. Cool. He eventually... Graduated with a master's degree in English literature. We're skipping way, way forward, by the way. 
you were done with that. You're like, we're okay. We're going to just move past that. I yeah. don't want to think about it. I really debated not adding that little tidbit in here, but I feel like it's. He's trash. Yeah. It, it, I feel like it leads to who he became in a way. So he eventually graduated with a master's degree in English literature. And while attending college in Tokyo at the age of 24, he was arrested for following a German woman home and he broke into her apartment after she had gone to sleep. <laughs> and as he sees her sleeping in her bed, she's naked. So he comes up with this plan. And his plan was to attack her with an umbrella that he saw nearby. I would hope that there was literally nothing better in this house to attack someone with. Because let's not give anyone ideas here. An umbrella, though. That's the best you got. Let them be stupid, okay? Oh, he, I feel like he, like to be so educated, I feel like he's kind of dumb. Anyway, he, he, oh God. so he grabs an umbrella and he's going to attack her with it, <clears throat> but he brushed against her and she woke up and she was able to fight him off or she was able to fight him off. Excuse me. Cause like I said, he's a very tiny man. So she fought him off and she kept him there and he was arrested for attempted rape, but the charges were allegedly dropped after his father paid the victim a settlement. There is no record of this, but the charges were dropped. We do not know why. He didn't tell anyone at the time what he was planning to do, but he was not going to rape her. In 1977, 27-year-old Sagawa moved to Paris to pursue a PhD in literature. He would later say that he brought home a prostitute almost every night, and he tried to shoot them. <clears throat> when their backs were to him and they weren't looking, but he said his fingers would freeze up and he just could not pull, he could not get himself to pull the trigger. A few years after that, Sagawa invited a female classmate to his apartment to work on an assignment together. On June 11th, 1981, a 25-year-old Dutch woman named Renee Hartveld met Sagawa at his apartment for dinner and homework. He told her that his professor wanted some German poetry recorded, and Renee spoke three languages, German, French, and English. So German was one of them. She believed him. She agreed to help him with this assignment. This was fake, by the way. His, oh, okay. It was all a lie. I was just like, like, what is this assignment? That's the only thing I could focus on. Um, yeah, I'm, just... I'm sorry. Um, he lied about <laughs> it. I thought I wrote that oh. down, and I guess I reworded it. But he lied and told her that he had a teacher and his assignment was to record German poetry being read. So this was his way of getting her to help since they already kind of knew each other and she spoke German. Okay, gotcha. While she was at a desk reading poetry, Sagawa shot her in the back of the neck with a rifle. And he claimed that she didn't immediately stop reading. She kind of went a little further after he shot her, but then she stopped talking, slumped over, and then fell out of the chair, and both she and the chair fell to the floor. Okay, wait, so he just shot her? Like, there's no reason other than he's psychotic? 
Yeah, there's okay. there's a there's a reason. Oh, okay. What's let's hear that reason when you get to it, I guess. <laughs> okay, let me tell you. So first he claims that he fainted in shock after he shot her. And then he woke up and he was like, Oh, I had a plan. I need to go, I need to get started. I need to go through with my plan. Sagawa, he had always considered himself weak, ugly, small, probably because he was. And, but he devised a plan to change this. He had specifically chosen Hartveld because he thought she was healthy and beautiful. He also claimed to love her. But to hear him talk about her and their relationship, I feel like he was more obsessed with her. And at one point, he did allegedly ask her out, but she rejected him. She said she saw him as more of a friend. Many sources said that she pitied him, and that was why she hung out with him. She's allowed to tell you no on a date, guys. Exactly. Women are allowed to not be interested in you romantically. And that doesn't give you a right to do anything, aside from just accept that they denied you. You've been friend-zoned. Leave it at that. And I don't put it in here, but he did say something along the lines of, he thinks if they would have gone out for dinner just one more time, he would not have killed her. I think he's a lying sack of shit. Because he said that. You shouldn't have killed her to begin with. She didn't do shit to you. I think he said that for like, because he does eventually just publicity, publicity takes this man places. Okay. And I think that's why he said it, because I'm about to tell you what and why he did this. I do not, I do not believe he loved this woman. So his plan was to kill Hartfeld and eat her and therefore absorb her energy. Wait, wait, absorb her energy by like eating her? Yes. So that's not how food works. No. You don't absorb the energy of the gleeful cow from down the road when you have a hamburger. No. Yeah, we're not plants. Um, just absorbing up sunlight and... Ugh. Um, so after he came to, he put a towel under her head and then he undressed her. And he had already planned out what he was going to do and where he was going to start. He started with her butt because he claimed it looked the most delicious. Specifically delicious. Delicious. Yes. His words. <laughs> she was bootylicious. Yes. Sorry, that is so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um again, like I said, the guy's not smart because he specifically started with the right cheek because the left cheek was closer to the heart. So he thought it would be bloodier. And he was afraid of blood. Uh, Hold on. He is afraid of blood and he just killed this innocent girl because she friend zoned him. Mm -hmm. And he's going to eat her and Mm -hmm. he's afraid of blood. He's. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he, he bit down. And he discovered that his teeth could not break the skin. So he got a fruit knife from the kitchen and he said that did not work either. So he left her there, went to the store and got a knife with a curved blade. From my understanding, this is probably like some kind of fillet knife or 
some kind of knife specifically meant for meat. I think it's just a mental thing where he couldn't break through skin. I think he's just a, a weak little man. I don't know. I, I I feel bad calling him a man, but I don't know. Because I know, like, I don't know. I feel like most people, if you have siblings, you've been bit and they've broken skin, right? I have. Well, that's why I'm confused. Is I just feel like, listen, if I can um, break skin on literally, like, stress, just, like, biting my knuckle or whatever, mm-hmm. you can break skin. I, like I said, I think it's it's got to be mental, right? And then, like, the fruit knife, like, you can do damage with those. Let me tell you, I don't think it was mental. Let me tell you why. Um, So he went to the store. He bought a knife with a curved blade. And he came back. And he this worked. He started cutting. Um, He put his quote unquote favorite parts in the fridge. He gave the example as a thigh of a thigh. That part went to the refrigerator for later. And as he was eating Hartvelt, he became so aroused that he raped her. Oh my god, I hate him so much. Um, yeah, that's why I don't think it was a mental thing that he couldn't break the skin oh because he he was very much fine with what he was doing. Yeah. He spent the next two days eating various parts of her body. And has someone at this point reported her missing? Anything? No, not that I could find. He, throughout these two days, he would cut pieces off and he would cook them in different ways. He would experiment with spices and different cooking techniques. Some things he ate raw. He said it tasted like raw tuna. Some things he fried in a pan with seasoned salt, pepper, and mustard. And he said that it tasted like veal. And as if this wasn't bad enough, as he mutilated and consumed her body, He took pictures of her as this progressed. Oh my God, I hate him so much. When she started to decompose, he cut what was left of her body into smaller pieces and he packed them into two suitcases. There was a lake in a park nearby that he wanted to dump her in. So he called a cab. And when the driver helped him put the bags in the car, the bags were so heavy that he said the cab driver actually made a joke about, like, hey, what have you got? A body in here? One of those type jokes. Oh, God, I hate it so much. It was about 8 p.m. when he got to Bois du Bologna. Bologna? I'm not French chasms. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Bois du Bologna is the second largest park in France. It is 873 hectares or 2,155 acres. And I'm going to tell you about this park for a minute, okay? Because this is where this man chose to dump a body. It has several lakes, multiple gardens. It has a zoo. It has an amusement park. It has two horse tracks. It has greenhouses containing over 100,000 plants. It has a stadium, and multiple, like, high-end restaurants. It's busy. The park is busy all the time. It is booming with people, and he just thought, I'll just leave this here, no big deal. Oh, yeah. 
Pretty much. Why he chose this park, I cannot tell you. I keep saying, y'all, to be like, to be someone pursuing a PhD, you got to be kind of smart. Maybe it's like one of those, he was really book smart and had not an inkling of common sense. I don't know, but I just, I don't, I'm glad he's dumb. Okay. Spoiler alert. It did not take the police long to find him. Mm. But if I understand the end of the story correctly, we still, it's not a good ending. It's not. No. Okay. Well, actually, maybe. I don't know. Depends on. Yeah. Anyway, it's summer. It's 8 p.m. And he said he was surprised at how, how much daylight was still outside when he got there. Which I can kind of see that. Like, it's still light outside and it's 8 o'clock right now. It's summertime. 8 p.m. is not dark. He said there were still people sunbathing when he got there. So he kind of struggled finding a spot to get out of the cab, but he still did it. And he said people were staring at him, lugging these obviously heavy suitcases around this park. Because this man, he's about four foot nine, five feet tall, and he was said to weigh six stones. My American ass had no idea what this meant. He's like, what, 120-ish? Not even? Not 84 pounds. He weighed 84 pounds. He was about five foot nine. And he's very much struggling pulling these two suitcases around. He's five foot nine or four foot nine? I'm sorry, four foot nine. Okay. You gave me two different numbers and my brain went, those do not compute. I have four foot nine dash five. So I think my brain was like, put them together. Five nine it is. Giving him a whole foot extra. No big deal. So, yeah, he's a teeny tiny little guy struggling with these things. So, (laughs) obviously, people are going to notice. People are probably like, what's this little dude doing? Is he lost? Did he he run away from home? And he's Japanese (laughs) in France. So, he already, like, sticks out a little bit, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he, the people saw him. He claims to push these suitcases down to the lake, and he is spent. He's so tired. He is absolutely exhausted. Bryce, what does he do? He just, he he follows through with his plan. He takes a nap. He watches the sunset. Sir, <laughs> you gotta get out of there. You got people calling police by now going, hey, I think there's a little boy that's lost. He's <laughs> run away from home. I don't think he's supposed to be out here without parental supervision. Man, he stopped to watch the sunset. He said the sun was red as it was setting. And it was just so beautiful that he was fascinated by it. And then suddenly he hears someone scream. So he turns around and there's a man opening his suitcase. And the guy stops before he opens it. And he's like, hey, are these yours? And Sagawa was like, no. So He's the man so opens the suitcase. Oh my god. And Why wouldn't you be like, yeah, those are mine. Please don't touch my shit. Exa- exactly. And in the interview, he does look back and it's, it seems like he was kind of like, I don't know why I did this. Yeah, bud. Why did you do any of it? You gross, grosso. <clears throat> so he said, since he said no, the man opened it, immediately saw a bloody sheet, and started yelling 
murder. And Sagawa walked away. He's like, okay, cool. Don't murder me. Bye. Yeah, just someone else's problem, I guess. Walked away, went home. Police are obviously called. And they found a woman's torso in one bag and her head and limbs in the other. They pretty quickly found Sagawa because he made it so incredibly easy. Multiple people saw him in the park. They knew he had gotten there by a cab because people saw him getting out of it. And because, like I said, he was a very tiny Asian man. So it took a few days, but they found the driver who told them, you know, oh, yeah, I, hey, I picked up that guy. That sounds familiar. That's his apartment. This is where I got him. So they go to this apartment building. There was one Asian man living in the whole building. And his name was Issei Sagawa. He literally was like, mm, catch me if you can. And police were like, okay. Four days later. Oh my God. It took them four days. How? Oh, mm -hmm. I feel like, how did it take them four days? It should have taken them 30 seconds. But I guess what year is this again? Why would you ask me that right now? Oh, crap. Uh, I believe it was 84. It was in the 80s. Okay. So this yeah. is in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? 1980s. Yeah. So I guess they don't have cell phones to be like looking for tiny Asian man. The only reason I found that it took this long is because it took the police a while to go through all the cab drivers and be like, hey, did you pick up this man? Hey, did you pick up this man? Hey, did you pick up? Until they finally got to the one that did. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like 80s, you don't have like people with cell phones and you don't have right. like someone that's like, oh, yeah, I got a picture of that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they don't, you know, so I'll yeah. cut them some slack because it was the 80s. Yeah. So four days. <laughs> And from what, from what some sources said, Issei spent these four days terrified. He knew the police were coming for him. Smartest thing I've heard the man say. So, uh, yeah, they arrested the shit out of him. And he confessed. He was like, yeah, this is what I did. And so he spent two years in prison awaiting trial. Three psychiatrists found him mentally insane. And the judge ruled that he was unfit to stand trial. So he dropped the charges. And instead, he ordered that Sagawa be kept in a mental hospital indefinitely. He was sent to a criminal psychiatric ward. But France, they were pissed that their taxes are now being used to house this man. So France called Japan up and they were like, you got to come get this guy. And they deported him. Back in Japan, Sagawa was found sane, but they said that he had a personality disorder. Here's the problem. Since France dropped the charges and sealed the documents, Japan couldn't get them. And they did not have any crime on this man. So he was released on a technicality because they had, I mean, they were kind of screwed. Like people were upset at Japan. I imagine both Japan and France was like, hey, what the hell are you doing? But like, you, they couldn't do anything. They had no info. And France couldn't just be like, 
Oh, unseal. Here, take these. Mm -hmm. So he gets out on a technicality. August 12th, 1986, Issei Sagawa checked himself out of the Matsuzawa Psychiatric Hospital in Tokyo, and he was a free man. After being released, he complained that it was hard to find employment. Yeah, bro, you killed an Ada woman. Not only that is like you did way more than just that. Yeah, like I'm being nice by saying everything. I don't want to have to say everything that he did. But yeah, he complained about it because it was hard to make a living. You know who else is hard to make a living? Renee Hartfelt. She's having a problem with that, too. And it's your fault. So I don't feel bad. Mm -hmm. So he had to make money somehow, right? I guess. Um, He became famous. He did interviews. He wrote about 20 books, including The Fog, which was a memoir-style book where he listed details of his murder. He wrote, I've heard that this is pronounced manga or manga. I'm not sure you do you, regional dialect. But he... He wrote a, a manga where it this showed his crime in graphic details in a comic book style. He painted. He starred in pornos. He n- not yes, not tasteful pornos. Pornos oh. that are like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who the hell would agree to that? Um, so he was also, he did talk shows and he did TV shows and there was one TV show. I did not watch the show, but he talks about it in one of his interviews and my heart goes out to this woman because apparently there was a TV show that Issei was on and there was a woman who had to live with him for 24 hours. Oh, and after she, no. well, after she agrees to this show, she doesn't know who he is. She just knows she has to live with a man for 24 hours. And after she's agreed with, agrees to it, as they're filming, they tell her, oh, there's a caveat. And she's like, okay, what? They were like, you have to have sex with him three times. Uh-huh. Um, Read the fucking details, girlfriend. I'm so, I... Yeah, I don't know how that works. I don't know if they just like snuck that into the contract. I don't even know if there was a contract. This was the 80s, so I don't know. That's like handwritten by what's his face? Uh, Issei. Issei, Issei on the side. Yeah, he's like put a little asterisk and handwritten mm-hmm. that in. He probably spelled something wrong too. It gets worse. They did not tell her what he did until after. And they filmed it. Oh, I hate that so much. I hate it so much for that woman. Like I said, it made me, it made this, oh, it made me so angry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, all that sounds pretty bad. He was also a restaurant critic for a Japanese magazine named Spa. You can't, cri- you're not allowed to criticize anything, bro. Yeah. Not tasteful. That was, okay, that wasn't supposed to be a pun. I was going to say no pun intended. Yeah. Okay, and and this all, like, it sounds horrendous, and it absolutely is. I'm not saying that. But I can see this happening somewhere else. Like, I, I can see something like this happening 
even here, like in the U.S., just because of the fascination that we have with with serial killers. Yeah, but I also don't want the serial killers to profit with my slight fascination. I oh, would like someone not. else to write the books, do all that research, write the books, and then profit, and mm-hmm. not the serial killer, because that's not... I'm, like, struggling, like, the idea that he wrote like he has all this what is it manga these comics basically detailing what he did mm-hmm. and he's he's making money off of that yeah and he's always been super honest too like there's been god he's been quoted saying like he wants to eat someone else before he dies like he wants to do this again I, that's and just, then you have oof those people that like become obsessed with him Mm -hmm. that are like they fantasize about him and you're like please please don't this is a very sick man like he should not be free no and he oh he absolutely was for a while um so his parents died in 2005 and from what I read, it was reported that he was not allowed at their funeral, which I thought Good. was... Yeah, I thought that was interesting. In 2013, he was hospitalized with cerebral infarction. And according to Wikipedia, cerebral infarction is the pathologic process that results in an area of necrotic tissue of the brain. And it's usually caused by disrupted blood supply and or restricted oxygen supply. So brain went bad. He spent a while in the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He spent a while in the hospital, and this left him with permanent damage to his nervous system. So after this, he was restricted to a wheelchair. He died of pneumonia November 24th, 2022, at the age of 73. He either lived with his brother or he lived alone with his brother as a caretaker. His sources varied. But when he died, he was wheelchair-bound. He had diabetes. He had suffered two heart attacks in the years before. And like I said, you can see all sorts of interviews that he did up until his death. He was still accepting interviews. In 2008, Sagawa told Vice, and that is the interview I watched more than than twice. But... He talks about his past, his success, his crimes. There are multiple interviews on YouTube that you can find. And I watched a lot of them, guys, and every one of them is just brutal. They show pictures that I did not include. If you want to see them, you can Google them. But I'm telling you, they are horrendous. Because when they find this poor woman in these suitcases, they do have to... um, I I hate saying it. I'm sorry. They have to reassemble her. And there is a lot of her missing. Like I said, he ate this poor woman for two, three days. Um, so just if you have a weak stomach, just don't. Okay. Yeah, I'm not not gonna. But some other things he admitted in this interview that I kind of wanted to include was uh, he in, he admitted that his first cannibalistic thought was in first grade when he saw, quote, a handsome boy's thigh. Later in life, he claimed to see a girl's thighs and it made him want to taste her flesh. 
And uh, after finishing his graduate program, he went on a cruise to Greece. And during this cruise, he had dinner with a man and his wife at the at the table. And they made small talk. And the man was a butcher. And through just polite conversation, he had told Sagawa how to butcher meat. After this all happened, Sagawa sent this man a letter where he thanked him. And he said that this man never replied to him. No shit. Right. Like, why? Why would you do that? This poor freaking man. Oh, God, I don't know. It just it, it gets to me that he lived a free life. Like he uh-huh. he he openly admit to his crimes. And yet he was free. Yeah. And like, he maybe bragged about them. Yes, because he was telling people I got away with it. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't have any consequences, though he should have. Yeah. And I I get the French people saying we don't want to pay for him being here. But also, like, there there was a consequence to that, which hopefully, like, laws have adjusted, things have changed, um, at least to some extent, where if that happens again, Mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be a free person. I don't know if laws have changed, but I I would hope so. Like I'm like you, like I see their point. I wouldn't want my tax dollars go into this. Psychopath doesn't feel strong enough. I I don't, I don't know what to call him. Um, He's a monster. So I do have a couple pictures on the drive. One of them is unfortunately at least a few of the ways that he prepared her. Um, one of them is a picture from the magazine of him ugh, critiquing food. God, he doesn't have a right to critique anything. No, he doesn't. And that's why I, that, that's a, I hate that picture because I hate, number one, I hate looking at his big dumb face, but this does not look like a man that regrets what he's done. This he, he doesn't very obviously he, doesn't. Yeah. He's bragging about it. He's going around making money off of this horrific thing that he did. Mm-hmm. And there's he he's got no consequences. Absolutely none. No. Mm-mm. And on top of that, like I know that he probably was watched a little bit more by police cuz they're like, "Hey, <laughs> We know what you did. Yeah. But like, what other things did he get away with in his lifetime? I've wondered that myself because granted, like, okay, he does eventually come back and say that that German woman, he does eventually admit he wasn't going to rape her. He wanted to eat her. He wanted to take a piece of her and run, basically. So this wasn't the first time. It was at least the second. It was just the first time that he was able to to do it. Because he even says he tried multiple times. His goal in life was to eat a woman specifically. Mm-hmm. And he even said that he, I mean, he even said that he planned publicly. He intended to do it again. Mm-hmm. Well, he wanted, he said he wanted to. But in my he mind. wanted, like, intended, same thing. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. In my mind, you want to, you already have, and you got away with it. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. No. And and that just 
oh, that irks me. And then, like I said, you're going to have those people that are just as messed up as him, like the the girls that write letters to like convicted mm-hmm. killers. Mm-hmm. You you're gonna have people like that as well that like did fantasize about him, and it's like, what's wrong with you? Like, I hate him so much. I'm actually really glad you did this, so I didn't have I was, to because I. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. I've, um, I'm sorry I stole your story, but also you're welcome that I stole your story. <laughs> God, you're such a bitch for stealing my story, but thank you so much for stealing my story. Yeah. So. Okay, well, do you want to move on to a different story? For the love of God, yes. Okay. Well, I know that last time I did a paranormal, I said I would do, like, I had another story with different types of aliens. I didn't want to do it, though. (laughs) So. Well, that was rude, but okay. Okay, but I just felt like it was too much alien action back to back, you know? Okay, okay, I'll give you that. So, I will still do that story when I feel like it, but I didn't feel like it tonight. So, so I chose the story because it felt like it had been a minute for me since I'd done just like a, a classic, a gold, good old haunting. So, that's what we're doing. This place, I don't know what it is, where it is, it looks haunted. <laughs> There's okay, there's two separate places. So that might be like, which one are you looking at? Both of them. They both just look haunted as hell. Okay. Well, we are going to be talking about the um, Ararat Lunatic Asylum, or it's now called the Aradale Mental Hospital. That feels a little nicer. Well, I mean, it was built in the 1800s. So, you know, original name was Ararat Lunatic Asylum. I will probably refer to it as both Ararat and Aradale because I did not go through my notes and change the names to be all one, but they're the same damn thing. Okay. Ararat and Aradale are the same thing. All it is is that it got renamed through the years, all that fun stuff. I keep thinking you're saying Arendelle and I'm like, Froze, Elsa? Is she here? No, 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 not Elsa. Um, she might have been put there in the 1800s for all I know, but she's not here. It's not Arendelle. Aradale. Okay. Got it. I'm with you. There's no, there's no end, guys. Okay. So, Aradale, the construction on Aradale or Ararat was started in 1864. It was built in Ararat, which is a city located in southwest Victoria, Australia. So, we're, we're down under, guys. Airedale was designed by G.W. Vivian and John James Clark, and Airedale's design was an adaptation of Sister Asylum's Q and Beechworth. Q and Beechworth and Airedale would all begin construction around the same time. Like, they didn't necessarily start at the same time. They started right around the same time. But Q and Beechworth would just... Q and Beechworth... Sorry, Beech... Beechworth. I might have said Beechwood, but it's Beechworth. Okay. Um, Q and Beechworth, their designs were finalized first, and then Aradale just kind of followed suit. Okay. Now, even with all of these buildings, these constructions beginning at roughly the same time, Aradale would actually be the first to be completed. So a lot of reports state that the patients or inmates, as they were referred to at the time, were actually forced to build the asylum. However, the more trustworthy reports do dispute this and list the contractor as O'Grady Glynn and O'Callaghan. However, I believe this might be mixed up with the old Ararat jail, which would eventually become known as J-Ward. So I think that's kind of where those facts or that that idea got skewed a little bit. Okay. 
So Airedale was commissioned to accommodate Victoria's growing number of, quote, lunatics at the time. So they were having this issue with housing and all of that for the mentally unwell. Now, again, it was based on the same designs as its sister buildings, Q and Beechworth. However, Ararat would use linking bridges with arched gateways. And that kind of made it more unique because Q and Beechworth didn't do that. So it is a more unique structure. Uh, the building was two stories with ward wings on each side, one side for men, the other side for women. And each ward wing was encompassed by courtyards with iron verandas. Oh. Sounds super fancy, doesn't it? It, do- it does sound oh. super fancy. We've got it's- covered bridges, courthouses. You definitely want to be crazy here. No. Um, oh, okay. sorry. Also- I went too far. <laughs> yes, you did. Ararat also used their own variation of ha-ha walls. Have you ever heard of ha-ha walls? Ha-ha wall? I thought this was a joke because yeah. it says ha-ha JPEG. I thought like this was going to be something funny. It's okay. So basically, I had to do research on this because I was like, what the hell are you talking about? So basically, it is like the border of the building, right? Like that's their wall to keep everyone in. But what they've done is on one side, the wall only appears to be maybe three, four, five feet tall. Whereas on the other side, it's actually 12 feet tall because they've created a trench on one side of the, on one side of the wall to, uh, to make it deeper on one side. So what happens if you climb the wall? Okay. So it should be, hypothetically, it should be tall enough that someone is not climbing it from the outside going in. In addition, I think people knew what it was, you know, people weren't going to climb in for funsies. And if they looked down, they would see a pretty significant drop. I don't like it. It's kind of creepy. Kind of scary. I'm scared someone's going to get stuck in there. And then what? Well, I mean, they can climb up because it's like a hill up to the other side. It's not necessarily like a trench down where they can't get out. So the one side where it's 12 feet, just imagine all of a sudden there's a hill that drops down so that it's at the bottom. It's 12 feet high. Okay. Okay. I'm with you now. And the picture I included does depict it. So the gray square is the wall. So one side is inside of the asylum. The other side is outside. Why is it called Ha Ha? Um, I don't know why it's called Ha Ha. (laughs) I can tell you why they were created because basically some of the, the descriptions of it was to keep the view uninterrupted. So you might have like a hill that you're trying to keep something in or whatever. And you don't want your view interrupted by a wall. And so if you do the ha-ha walls, they're like you can still see over them from that certain point before you drop down into the trench. Okay. So if I want to keep people out of my yard, this might be a good option to not ruin yeah. my view of the sky. Exactly. Exactly. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. And others describe this specifically for Ararat. They described it as keeping the patients in. While the outside people, they had the image that Ararat was not prison-esque. Oh, okay. So That's important, I guess. Well, I mean, they're trying, you've got to think about the 1800s. Mental illness was seen as like a a disease that you could catch. Like, conjunctivitis queen over here cannot give me her depression, okay? Like... That's not what's going to happen. You're not giving me your anxiety. I already have enough of my own. Okay, look, treat the <laughs> conjunctivitis, the depression, and the anxiety gets better by proxy. Okay, so. Okay, 
that's different. Okay. Um, but that, that was kind of the idea where it's like, hey, we don't want to frighten the people in Ararat. But we also need this. We need this asylum. So, okay. yeah. And for Ararat, the walls were 12 feet high from the inside. So, like, no one's getting out, you know? Now, Ararat or Aradale, they would reportedly accept their first patients in 1865. Though they would not officially open until 1867, two years later. Uh, why? Me- many people speculate that the first patients were patients that were deemed criminally insane and they needed them in the asylum and away from the rest of criminals separation. Okay. I see that, but how does that work if it's not open? Like, do they still have workers, surely, and people to take care of them? Yes, to my understanding, yes. No, they just left them in there. Okay. Pen for were, yourself, figure it okay, out. Yeah. Here, there's some tomatoes planted in the courtyard. Figure it out. Okay, well, we'll, we'll talk about the structure in a minute. Oh, God. Um, the guardhouse, they wouldn't even begin construction on that until 1866, after patients were accepted, or at least the first few were accepted. Uh-huh. Now, the asylum is described as being built as if there were a town within a town. So it's it's a big, big guy. They had their own market gardens, orchard, vineyards, piggery, gallows, morgue, and graveyard all on site. What the hell is a piggery? I think that's where they slaughter pigs. I didn't Google oh. that because I, I just assumed that's what it was. Oh, I assumed it was like a sty or something. Is that what they... Yeah, that's where pigs live. It's, it's a farm where pigs are bred or kept. Okay. So... I assume that they also slaughtered them there as well. So, like, it's literally just, like, a little small village. Yeah. Right? Pretty normal from what we've heard, like, with mental institutions way back in the day. Pretty self-sufficient. Because, again, they thought of this as, like, a disease, a contagious disease. They wanted mm-hmm. to keep everyone in without affecting the general population. Okay. Okay. Now... Aradell was originally designed to house 250 patients. In the first year, though, they reportedly housed 300 patients. Well, they, they didn't even, they, just from the get-go, they were like, screw it, y'all can bunk together. Squeeze on in. Boy. So, we'll get into overcrowding in just a little bit, but, you know, it is a small village. 250 patients is a lot of people, plus staff. So it really was meant to be self-sufficient for the patients. It allowed patients to work while they're in the asylum, which at the time was believed to help with their treatment. Now, if they wanted to work while there, I doubt it. But it allowed for that, and I'm sure they were forced into it as well. Yeah. And at the time of opening, there was also no separation of patients. Uh Uh-oh. So that means that you could have prisoners housed with someone suffering from PTSD. So you have an, like criminally insane person with someone that's just suffering from PTSD. And this created tension and violence within the facility. I mean, many patients, inmates, and staff would die at this facility. And just imagine men and women and children as young as 12 being housed there for postnatal depression, autism, anxiety, depression, PTSD, epilepsy, homosexuality, since they thought it was a D's, or Down syndrome. And they are being housed with people who have been deemed criminally insane. I'm nauseous. I can't even imagine what these people went through. Not great. 
Oh, now, no. according to How Haunted Podcast, who I did listen to, uh, it was reportedly very easy to be admit to this asylum. You only needed two signatures to be admit to the asylum. But it was a completely different story to get out. To get out, you needed eight signatures. Well, oh, my gosh. And the average time patients spent here was 23 years. No. Yeah. And I did mention overcrowding already. Overcrowding would become an issue pretty quickly within the first year. And because of that, they do begin constructing additional buildings to help with the housing accommodations. I mean, with the overcrowding, it leads to a lack of privacy. Uh, they have issues within the asylum for that. And I mean, I think most of us know that the conditions in asylums at this time was far from ideal. Patients were subjected. First of all, patients were referred to as inmates at the time. Almost every article referred to them as inmates for the time. I'm going to call them patients because that's what they should have been treated as. Yeah, that kind of hit me earlier when you mentioned like the first patient. I think you said something along the lines of like the first patients or as they were referred to inmates. And I was like, we're already starting off bad here. Yeah, starting off strong. Um, yes. So the patients there were subjected to a range of treatments. Some sources claim that the treatments included communal underwear. What is, I don't, Bryce, what, oh God, do they have to share underwear? Yeah, that is what communal underwear is. What the, how do you, how do you (laughs) share underwear? I assume you just take them off and pass them on. Why would you do that? What are you doing? It was a form of treatment that like caused humiliation from what I understand. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. You know what else it probably causes? Freaking so many infections. And lice and... Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm not okay. This is the first one you named. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That just triggered me. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not, but... (sighs) I... You're you're the one that chose me, okay? You decided we were platonic soulmates. Let's just remember that. Okay, you chose <laughs> me, and you drug me into this podcast. I'm you a agreed to it. You agreed. You willingly, of your own volition, you were like, hell yeah, let's do it. So anyways, communal underwear, restraint bags, uh, restraint, it's a bag that you're restrained in. What do you want me to tell you? Restraint bag? Yeah. They just restrained you in a bag. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, restrained chairs for hours or days in some cases. Isolation chambers. Hot and cold therapies where the patient would be immobilized in a bath with no way out. And then hot water, cold water, hot water, cold water. Oh. Thera- therapy is the nicest way of me putting that. Okay. Way too nice. Oh, my God. That's so bad for your nerves. Yep. Uh, medical procedures would be performed on patients without any anesthesia, any anything, no anesthetics. Um, that included lobotomies, electroshock therapy, and many, many more. And uh, I did listen to the haunted How Haunted podcast, and they listed out the different types of lobotomies and how they oh, kind of no. work. Not they did them all. Okay, <laughs> not fun. Oh. So if you want to listen, How Haunted podcast did cover that. Now, a lot of these treatments also left patients incontinent. 
and these incontinent patients would be left in their cells naked with, you know, no access to proper care, and they would often be hosed off at the end of the day. So, not not great conditions. Just the last one, like, just the last one is inhumane. Not to mention, like, all the rest of them. Hosing, hosing off a human being that potentially already has some kind of medical issue. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, I'm not done. Staff would often mistreat inmates. Or, why did I put inmates? Patients. Staff would often mistreat patients, including raping patients and uh, use of an abortion chair that was regularly used. Oh my god. Yep. Um, oh. Patients often got little food and staff would take home the better food. So let's just say conditions here are not great. They're actually really bad. Oh no. Okay. I don't even know what to say. We're going to talk about, we're going to move on so that you don't have to say anything. Thanks. In 1886, the old Goal? I don't know how to say it. It's the jail. I, the Australian version of the word jail. Okay. The old jail at Ararat was proclaimed as J Ward. So J Ward was actually built earlier than the rest of Ararat Asylum. Like it was built way sooner than the asylum. The building, um, J Ward was actually three kilometers away from the Ararat Asylum. There's a reason we're talking about it. I promise. The building, for J. Ward commenced in 1859 as a prison. That's when it began being built. And reportedly, this jail was built by inmates, and many articles referred to inmates being sentenced to hard labor to build the jail. Mm. If you want to read more about that, you can visit jward.org.au. They had a list of people reportedly sentenced to work on the construction of J. Ward, as well as like a list of women that went through J. Ward and other prisoners that went through. So it was... Like, I could have gone into that for hours, and we would still be here for hours. So I chose not to. Also, by the time I found those stories, these notes were already nearing eight pages. So I chose not to do that. Now, the the Ararat Jail was opened on October 10th, 1861, and it would welcome its first 21 inmates at that point. By 1864, though, uh, they, would have, they would house 40 prisoners. Like, they're just slowly growing. On August 15th, 1870, they would conduct the very first execution on the grounds, and that would be of Andrew Vare. He was hanged for the murder of Amos Chiel. The second execution would be on September 15th, 1883, and that would be the execution of Robert Francis Burns, who would be hanged for the murder of Michael Quinlevin. I don't know if that's the right, but he he was hanged for murder. The third execution would be held on June 6th, 1884, and this was the execution of Henry Morgan, who would be hanged for the murder of Margaret Nolan. So the three executions listed that I could find that did happen here at the jail were all for murders. Um, and like I said, this is a fully functioning jail in the 1800s, right? This is, this is a jail. But by 1886, the need for the jail had gone away since the population had kind of dwindled a little bit. They just didn't need it like how they used to. And so it would be repurposed. So J Ward is what it would be renamed to. And this would become an extension of Ararat. And J Ward 
would house any person who was considered, not person, any man who was considered criminally insane. So now they're kind of starting that separation of criminally insane and just whatever they deemed insane. Okay. I guess so that's this, good, but I doubt it's good. Well, I mean, this could be for anyone in jail, reformatory, industrial school, basically where anyone is confined but appeared to be insane, they would go to J Ward. So it's not a separate institution. It is basically absorbed by Ararat at the time. It was meant to be a temporary measure. Um, there was a new institute being built at Sunbury. However, near the end of the completion of that institute, um, they decided it would only house females. And so J. Ward continued housing men. Now, again, they are not in the same location. I get that. but. They they go hand in hand. And Jay Ward would house some of the most notorious criminals, including Gary Webb, who we'll talk a little bit more about, Mark Chopper Reed, William Wallace, who reportedly died there at the age of either 107 and 108 Holy or God. 108 in 1989. Yeah, I don't know anything wow. about. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know anything about these guys except for Gary Webb I have a little bit of detail on him later on but we can add Mark Chopper Reed and William Wallace to the list we got an extensive list okay we and we're arguing over this list still I just wanted to say some, that was Buck that burped not me if it makes you feel better I didn't hear it so okay I saw my the little green outline come up so if you're recording that was all him Okay, well, on the recording, I will make sure that we cut that out and let everyone think it was you. Perfect, okay. Perfect, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Airedale, as time goes on, it would go on to have more than 60 buildings. Oh. Many of these are added on at a later time, with the most recent building being completed in 1991. Holy crap, is this place still open now? You said it is, right? Okay. No. At its height, they would employ over, and just before I forget, I, I shook my head, guys. N no, it's not still <laughs> open. At its height, they would employ over 500 staff and house over 1,000 patients. Good God. They're busy. In 1988, J. Ward would begin closing over the next year as announced by the Minister for Health. I put a mount, so I'm assuming I meant announced by the Minister of Health. So they do, J. Ward begins its closure, um, but Ararat is still open, and there are so many allegations of mistreatment and hazardous conditions and to patients and breach of duty of care in the early 1990s still. Oh. Like, you still have all these allegations, and there was one public, public advocate that raised issues about Aradell that included reports of sexual assault um, sexual mix misconduct, bestiality, physical assault, and theft. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jesus. Good God. Okay. Yeah. And the theft was reportedly between staff, patients, residents, and just everyone was stealing from everyone. There were no boundaries. Um, the health department of Victoria, they would conduct investigations and they found some of the allegations to be false while others they did find sufficient evidence for. One confirmed claim included a young, intellectually disabled resident that was labeled as, quote, the prostitute for the Aradell complex. I oh. don't know how old she was. Don't ask. Oh, my God. 
Okay. In the in the reports, she would trade sex for cigarettes and money. So they did. They were like, um, let's think about this, guys. And there were a lot of other things, but ultimately, Ararat would begin the process of being deinstitutionalized. That sounds great. So they would begin their full closure in the early 1990s, and they would begin to move patients to community living or just other facilities and just getting them out. In 1993, one of the only buildings that would function was the Ararat Forensic Psychiatry Center. So, like, they're only using one building at this point. And after 60 plus, because there were reports that said 63 and other reports said 70. So I was like, "We'll, we'll play it safe and say 60 plus. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, after the asylum's closure in, closure in 1993, they would continue to use the building to house female prisoners while the, the renovation or the building of Dame Phyllis Frost Center for Maximum Security Women was being built or remodeled, whatever they were doing. And it housed female prisoners up until 2001 when new management took over. After that, they were by, gone to their maximum security place. Again, Jay Ward also began their process of being deinstitutionalized, and they actually closed in 1992, so they're done. They At this point, they've already closed. In 1997, the remaining patients are all moved to Rosanna while the Thomas Embling building was being built, so that was a, a hospital. Um, during its 130 years of operation, it's estimated that over 13,000 inmates, staff, and patients would die at the asylum. I'm sorry. 13,000 over 130. 130 years over 13,000. That I'm not great at math, but that feels like a lot. Okay. Those might be dramatized reports because the official reports show the number closer to 3,000 deaths. So what's well, like on file for Victoria shows closer to 3,000, but almost every single source you will see says 13,000. But I feel like that can kind of go both ways where like, yes, that can be dramatized, but also the books can be a little cooked. Well, that's why I'm like, maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe it's closer to like 8,000. Take the average. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's still a lot. It is still a lot. In 2001, the Victorian government would provide $7.4 million to Melbourne Polytechnic, and this established, or this allowed them to establish a campus of the Melbourne Polytechnic's Ararat Training Center on the site of the hospital. The Polytechnic, Polytechnic campus was established to, quote, provide a world-class wine and hospitality training facility for Victoria. Okay. okay. I, I'm here. Sounds great. This provided them, and I love this because I was going to quiz you today, but you you beat me to it. This provided them with 30 hectares of vineyard. <laughs> and I literally was like, do you remember what a hectare is? You do, because we talked mm-hmm. about it uh, in your story, actually. So 30 hectares of vineyard, 10 hectares of olive groves, which would be planted in 2002. Um, so 30 hectares is about 74 acres. 10 hectares is about... 24 and a half acres. So, like, they're getting quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. They would later add an olive processing facility and a winery. They're built on site. Um, since establishing the Ararat Polytechnic, they have established a two the 250-ton winery, the 400, uh, no, not 400, 
also a four hectare lavender farm, so about 10 acres. And they're just extensive training facilities. Now, they do not take up every single building on the Ararat Asylum. They, they just don't. There are still abandoned buildings. They only take up a part of it. Are you ready for some paranormal stories? Yes, but first I want to throw something at you. I wonder if all of the trauma that happened here would like negatively impact all these grapes and olive trees and lavender or is the fact that they're like taking something horrible and kind of it seems like trying to give it a new life you know would it help the people that hopefully are not stuck here but like you you died and went through god knows what in this place but now you got this nice lavender field outside they just sage the shit out of everything every day. They tell all of their students part of the hospitality training is that you have to go in, risk your life, and sage each and every olive tree. Go on. Not even now. Everybody comes to work with a bundle of sage and they burn it in a bonfire. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Nope. I don't know because... They're obviously doing well because they did add the 250-ton winery. Like, that wasn't just there. They decided to build it. So I'm going to say maybe the new growth is, like, good for them. I don't know. I mean, there's not enough buildings. Let's add a winery. Just throw a winery in. No big deal. (laughs) We got Hector's despair. Fine. Fine. (laughs) All right. So paranormal stories. George Fidmont. He was the last governor of the jail. And in 1886, he was showing a group of people around the asylum. He's kind of showing off everything. And he's like, look at all these beautiful things, whatever he's doing. I don't know what he was doing. But the group would begin descending down some stairs when George would suddenly fall to his knees. And he suffered a major heart attack and would die on the spot. Uh... In the stairwell that, yeah. Major heart attack. He apparently did not do cardio at all. What the hell? So we're just like I can't imagine being in that group. And right? I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be, you know, like callous towards him either. But like, what do these poor people do? Panic. And it's 1886. Yeah. Holy. Ca- okay. Holy cow. So. Anyways. Ooh. Um. So he dies in the stairwell. And many guides and visitors now hear footsteps. They often describe it as heavy footsteps and banging in the stairwell. And when they go check, there's no one there. I just had a shiver go down my spine. They do believe that to be George Fidmont. Fidmont. Um, Unfortunately, that makes me concerned that he's reliving that experience. I don't like it. Oh, I hate that. So next we have Gary Webb. I mentioned him earlier. He was a career criminal. Boy, is he something else. So he is sent to stay at Airedale. He was sent to Airedale for shooting a police officer. He had been robbing a pizzeria and thought that shooting the officer to avoid being caught was a better idea. He would. Right, Gary. Let's use our brains. He also shot the woman that owned the pizzeria. Gary. She's making delicious pizza and you're going to shoot her? I can't deal with him. Oh my gosh. Well, the good news is that the officer and the woman both did survive, but the woman would be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Webb was also caught, so don't worry. So he is caught. 
He's given a 14-year prison sentence because he hasn't killed anyone, so not life. Though, I mean, we'll talk about it. So he's kind of told at the beginning, with good behavior, you might be able to get out early, blah, 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 all the fun stuff. And well, 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 let's just say Webb got a little bit comfortable. And he starts to write letters to the media. And in Um. these letters, In these letters, he would describe some really horrific things he planned to do when he got out. Not smart, bro. I'm not going to tell you about them. They were not fun to read about. So he's just telling the media, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. and Awful things. And it freaked people out. I I feel like that's (laughs) right. Wait, did the media print them? I think they reported them and printed them. Because I was able oh. to find them. So they were like, this is horrible. Run it. Run it. Get it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, everyone was so freaked out that there is a special law that would be created to keep Gary in prison forever. Gary specifically? Y- yes. Oh, please tell me about <laughs> this. I don't have much detail on the law. I just know that they did pass this special law and it does keep Gary in prison for the rest of his life. Now, during the time that Gary Webb is in prison, he would begin to self-mutilate himself. There's that. Some reports stated that the mutilation would be in response to his, any of his requests being denied. He could be like, could you get me some ice? And they'd be like, no. And he would go and harm himself. That was the idea. Okay, calm down, Gary. You kind of did this to yourself. No, not kind worse. of. You absolutely did this to yourself. It gets worse. Um, he would cut off parts of his ear. He cut off his left nipple. He drank things he definitely should not have drank that should have killed him. He would be hospitalized over 70 times. He would even castrate himself three times. The what? third time, the third time his dingling was too damaged to be reattached. And so it was not reattached. So he could not do it a fourth time. I was going to ask how he did that three times, but they I reattached it. Yeah. Ready with the, why, <laughs> why, why do we keep putting it back? If he's going to keep taking it off. They didn't, they learned third times the charm. Okay. Oh my God. He also died after swallowing razor blades in the asylum. Gary! So, not, not great, Gary. Who gave him razor blades? He can't even have a penis. Why are we giving him razor blades? I, I don't know who's giving him razor Why do they keep giving him things to harm himself? He cut off his left nipple. That's what I'm saying. We can't even trust him with himself. How did he get razor blades? I don't, I can't tell you. I don't know. Justice for Gary, because I'm I'm confused and really uncomfortable. I believe that he died in 1933. It's also still wild to me that they created a whole ass law to keep one man in, like, like here in the U.S., our, our political people can't agree on anything. And they uh-huh. had all of these people come together and were like, we got to keep Gary Webb in there. And okay. did it. Uh, they did it. They did the damn thing. So it wasn't 1933 he died. It was 1993. Oh, that's worse. 
he had been in the Institute for 33 years. Oh my. So I, I don't know why they kept giving him things. I, I could not tell you, but that is how he committed suicide was by swallowing a bunch of razor bites. Now, many believe that Gary haunts his former room. He reportedly screams at visitors to get out as well as pushes them out the door. It's kind of sad that he's still there. I know, right? Like, you did all of this to try and get out. And mm-hmm. you are still there. Right. That just goes to show you, don't rob a pizza place. <laughs> Maybe just don't shoot people. That, don't do either one. Because look at, the, look at what karma gets you. Oh, right? And I just... The whole thing was just insane where they're like, mm, and I think they called it preventative detention. What um, preventative keep him in what? For, sorry, him being in there for life. They called it preventative oh. detention. So they okay. kind of were like, we're going to prevent you from causing any more issues. Oh, well, he, he, he still caused issues. <laughs> he caused issues in his own way. And yeah. you know what? It's, it is what it is. So. There's also one office that is believed to be formerly the office of Dr. William L. Mullen. That is not confirmed. That's just what's believed. He died in 1912, and many people believe that he commits suicide by swallowing cyanide in his office. People that come through or pass by the office will often report tasting a bitter taste, like just this bitter taste in their mouth all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Nurse Carrie, she was a former nurse in the women's ward. In the women's ward, tour guides claim that Nurse Kelly will often watch over them. Like, they oh. they don't feel threatened by this, this entity, the spirit. She's often seen as an apparition that is seen in the women's ward in her old, tiny nurse outfit. Okay. Many, many report hearing the click of her heels as if she's walking down the hall, and she will often disappear into stone walls. But people will believe or state that they believe she's still caring for the patients and the people that come through the asylum. Oh, that kind of makes me happy. Like, yeah. like maybe she actually enjoyed what she did there. I'm sure she made a difference. Yeah. She was described as just being like a really, like from the very minimal description that I got from her, like she was a good person. She did her job and she did the damn thing, you know? Yeah. Oh. Um, and her name now, was, it was Nurse Kelly? Carrie. Carrie. Nurse Carrie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because she cares. Cute. Oh, how sweet. Now, there's a ton of just, like, random things that they've got between J. Ward and just other reports within the asylum. Many believe that the three men that were executed at J. Ward while it was operating as a prison still haunt the grounds of J. Ward. So these men were buried on the property. They're believed to be restless because they were not given a proper burial. Rumors claim that their graves are only marked with three scratches on the prison wall, one for each inmate. Well, that's, okay. That's still sad. Mm-hmm. I know they were murderers, but I don't want ghosts, so please give them proper burials. Yeah. Anyways, many will report feeling ill or suddenly fearful in a specific room of J Ward. Some claim to slip into a trance in J Ward, only freeing themselves when they exit the building. Did you say some men claim- or many? Some claim to slip into a trance, only freeing themselves when they exit the building of J Ward. I didn't say either. Oh, okay. Sorry. What did you say before that? I'm sorry. 
Many will report feeling ah. ill or suddenly feel fearful in a specific room of J Ward. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought you said men and I was like, oh, not Nurse <laughs> Kelly. Carrie, not damn nurse- it. Nurse Carrie's over here taking care of those men. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> some claim to have been bitten in J Ward. Some, some also Ooh. claim to be pushed in J Ward. Some hear ticking clocks when there are no operating clocks nearby. Oh, that's um, horrible. Many people claim to hear banging on the walls that they describe as methodical, as if someone is banging their head on the wall. This is most often heard in J Ward. Oh. Electronics tend to malfun- malfunction in both buildings. Like, they just are going to fail. They're not going to work for you. Um, many people claim to feel a tingling sensation in their heads. Um, typically, they do not know that they are in the shock therapy room. Oh, my happens. gosh. I was going to ask if they were, like, either in the electroshock or the lobotomy rooms. Oh, that's yep. creepy. Ugh. Ugh. You will hear disembodied voices, often described as shrieking voices, which I like less than disembodied voices because it's hate a disembodied it. shrieking voice. Yeah, hate it. Uh-uh. Many will experience dizziness, nausea, headaches, fainting, phantom smells, strange noises, pain while in certain rooms, and apparitions are just common all over. This place sounds terrifying. Oh my god, it's so horrible. Today, both. Ararat or Airedale and Jay Ward offer ghost tours through the facilities. So oh. when we go see uh, memorabilia about the emo, emu wars in Australia, we'll just swing by and go do some ghost hunting. We don't have to. We can also just uh, go to the museum at Jay Ward that they maintain and go check things out. Airedale is considered one of the most haunted places in Australia. I was going to say, like, this feels like a really good place to go for skeptics. Well, you know what? They're so on How Haunted podcast. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I only listened to part of it. But he did go into, like, one investigative group's um, experiences. And it talked about, like, even their skepticism where they're like, well, that could just be me. Or that could be this or that or blah, blah, blah. I didn't finish it because at that point I was not no longer invested in the 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 paranormal people's. I don't know. I got sick <laughs> of listening to it at that point. And also, I didn't want part of it is I didn't want to try to incorporate that into my story because that was unique to How Haunted podcast. And so, yeah. I do think you guys should go listen to it. It was really good. They gave a lot of details. I did get some of my details from them, which I did give them credit for already. Um. But yeah, that, I mean, it's absolutely insane there. I don't want to go because, like, the building does look wild. It's kind of scary because you can, okay. So if you're looking at this one of, like, the whole building, you can see where you've got the main building. And then you have those covered bridges. So it's, it's almost like you could very easily spend a long time here and never leave the building. Like, never go uh-huh. outside. It's, and yeah, it's insane. I also don't know if I want to go to a place where people report getting bitten. Bitten? Phantom bite? No, I think I'm good all the time. I, I don't know what to tell you. I would love to go to Australia. I think it's awesome. I think the people seem awesome. But... 
I'm not going here at night. I I just said if you really wanted to, we can. I should have included the overhead view. Hold on, I'm going to add the overhead picture right now because I didn't think about it. Um, like this place is insanely huge. Like it's huge. Holy crap! This place is ginormous. Oh my gosh! Like you would get lost in there. Oh, absolutely freaking lootly. So yeah, it's and here's the thing is I actually think it's really pretty in some of those pictures. It no, I have to agree with that. It is like a really the building itself is really pretty. It almost it looks very castle-esque. Castle-like. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of to an extent. It's just very to me it looks like I don't know. It just it looks almost like a fancy home in some of the pictures where like it's like a fresh building and I don't think I labeled that one right. I think that's J Ward. That is J Ward. But yeah, it's like absolutely insane. Oh, it gives me the heebie jeebies just looking at it though. I just, I, I don't like it's just, I don't know. They've, they've got me speechless. And like I said, it's so freaking big. This is insane. Like we've seen bit really big and really old. Uh, asylums or institutions but this one nope takes a cake it's so crazy mm-hmm. so yeah i i don't know i i have a love-hate relationship with it because i hate how patients were treated but i love how pretty the building is because it really is i think it's so pretty the one that's labeled error at one yeah i keep coming back to that one Look at that one and tell me it doesn't look like just some fancy millionaire's house. Please tell me it doesn't look like that. It does. And I think that's also just a really good pick. Matthew Bordignon. I don't know how to say that. Sorry. You you got a good picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I also like the one, the very last one, Area 8. A rat 8. No, a rat 8. Era rat. Era rat. Yeah. Yeah. See, and it's just so pretty. Like, look at that and tell me it doesn't look like some rich bastard doesn't live there. I cannot say that. I will not. Exactly. Well, thank you all for listening to Helen Heels Podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Helen Heels Podcast, Twitter, Helen Heels Pod, or Facebook by searching Helen Heels Podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Helen Heels Podcast if you want to support us. Please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at helenhillspodcast.gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye. Bye.